Ladies and gentlemen, attention everyone. Welcome to No Picks After Dark. It's your boy Nick Burke, and you are now tuned in to the hottest podcast in the world with Aaron Dante, giving you the hottest interviews with the dopest people, sharing their experiences from your neighborhood all around to the world. Voted Best Baltimore Podcast by you, the listeners. Now, your host, Aaron Dante. Yo, Aaron, talk to him. Welcome to No Picks After Dark Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. Today, we have a great show for you folks. With contributors, comedian Ivan Martin, lawyer, legal contributor, Natasha Axelrod. Also, Trevor White with VBS Tax and Accounting. And for the main event, we have stoop storytellers of Jessica Hinkin and Laura Wexler. Can't wait for you to listen. Next voice you'll be hearing will be Mr. Comedian Ivan Martin. What's going on, Ivan? Good morning, good evening, good night, good day, beautiful people. What is going on? How you doing, Aaron Dante? No picks after dark. What's going on? What's up, brother? How you feeling? Man, it's going lovely, man. Things are going outstanding. I would like to give a major shout out to somebody that's been doing a job by just being there. Our Mayor Brandon Scott, thank you very much for doing such an outstanding job, going on Instagram Live, showing us how he cut his hair and all that other type of stuff. No, I'm just joking. I'm waiting on that tutorial, though. But somebody ain't got cool politicians like us. The whole state of Texas is just failing at people. Like, did you? You already know who I'm talking about, baby. Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz decided to leave during a pandemic on top of a pandemic and was like, him leaving the state of Texas at that very moment is the equivalent of, let's say somebody breaking into your house and you can see your daddy in the other room and your daddy see the man there with the gun and everything, everybody in the corner, and your daddy look you straight in the face and mouth. I'll be back. You got this. I'll be back. Like that is exactly what he did. And I don't even think people was upset with him for leaving. I think the real reason people was upset was because he left that damn dog. You saw the dog just sitting in the Sitting in the front little panel like, what? The dog sitting there. And, you know, people really don't play about dogs, man. People will walk past a homeless man with a dog and talk to him like like they on the college commercial. Like, look at you. You're doing nothing. Sitting here on the street. No couch. No place. Get up. Go to school. And then go give the dog money. <laughs> Seriously. And to cap it all off, ironically, do you know what the name of the dog is? Snowflake. I'm out of here. Love you, love you, love you. Peace, beautiful people. You can find me at Comedian Ivan Martin on Instagram, Facebook, and I do not have a Twitter. I don't know what it is, man. I just can't get with that. Visit your neighborhood sanctuary and do wellness for a luxurious experience for everybody. Treat yourself and a loved one with a massage, facial, or an entire day of pampering with our deluxe spa day packages that include lunch, from the restaurant next door, Fire and Rice. For more information on booking or purchasing gift cards, visit their website at indowellness.com or call at 443-438-4048. They look forward to welcoming you and your loved ones to their beautiful new space at Soha Union, located at 4801 Harper Road, Suite 1. The next voice you will be here is Miss Natasha Axelrod, Lawyer, legal contributor to the show. How are you doing, Miss Natasha? Extra, what do you got for us today? 
Today, I have some general information to share about auto insurance. Maryland requires a certain minimum coverage for liability insurance. So if you're going to drive or own a vehicle, you're required to have a certain amount of liability insurance. This covers you or at least should cover you for a certain amount of property damage or bodily injury that you may cause. Something that's a little lesser known though, but incredibly important for protecting yourself is uninsured motorist and underinsured motorist coverage. And there are required minimum amounts in Maryland and uninsured motorist coverage is meant to protect you if you are injured at the fault of someone else, but they don't have insurance or it's a hit and run situation. In this case, there would be no insurance to go after. With underinsured motorist coverage, this may apply where you get hit by someone and they have insurance, but it's an amount not enough to cover your injuries, for instance. In these instances, these coverages may provide you with at least some recovery. And people have an issue with this because they say it's not fair that people either don't follow the law by not having the required insurance or they don't have enough insurance. And you're right. It's terrible and not fair. And it's horrible to be injured and maybe even catastrophically injured and not able to recover the full amounts for medical expenses and future medical expenses, as as well as what we call the non-economic damages, which would be like pain and suffering. But as unfair as that may be, the UM and UIM coverages mean that you can better protect yourself against these situations. Maryland also enacted a law a few years ago that requires insurance companies to offer what's called enhanced UIM coverage to provide for greater protections. And But this is not automatic. So all of this is just to say it's a good idea to ask questions of your insurance producer to see what your current policies are and how you can better protect yourself. So that's today's Legal Minute. The No Picks After Dark podcast is proudly sponsored by Maggie's Farm. Located at 4341 Hartford Road, Maggie's Farm offers a unique dining experience with delicious handcrafted cocktails and mouth-awarding cuisine from falafel to scallops and everyone's favorite honey sriracha cauliflower wings. Open for dinner from 4 p.m. until 10 p.m. Wednesday through Saturday and serving brunch Saturday, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. With delectable chicken and waffles, shrimp and grits, biscuits and gravy, and more. Check out Maggie's Farm on Instagram and Facebook for daily and weekly food specials as well. My main man, Trevor White, on from VBS, Taxton County. How are you feeling today, Trevor? Hey, man, I'm feeling all right. All right, so what are you going to drop for us? I mean, so many things happening in the news right now, but what are you going to drop for us today just for our listeners? I want, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about unemployment insurance. There's a lot of confusion surrounding it. A lot of people were affected by job loss last year, and now feeling a tidbit about some of the confusion going on right now about why are people saying, hey, let me find your taxes surrounded by the third stimulus. Okay, okay. So give us a give us a breakdown. Tell us what's what's going on with that unemployment. Because I saw a lot of things on unemployment in recent days. Yeah, so the the one thing that people need to realize is unemployment is taxable. It's taxable to the federal government and it's taxable to the state. Now back on March twelfth uh, the state of Maryland passed the Maryland uh, Relief Act, which eliminated for 2020 and 2021 
the taxability of unemployment income. Here is the problem. That I'm sorry, back on February 12th. But here's the problem. People had already started filing their taxes that received unemployment. And, uh, and, and when a state changes a law during, during the time when something is happening, that state still has to update the forms that built the calculation to remove that from your income. So they built in a, so Maryland is in the process of building a subtraction for unemployment income to not be included in your income. But what people got to realize on the federal side is that that income is taxable. And a lot of people, when they get in unemployment, they do not check the box to make sure that the federal and state are going to be withholding taxes. So when you find it, especially last year, a lot of people received large amounts of unemployment. I'm seeing $14,000, $15,000, $26,000 of unemployment coming into my office, and people don't have taxes being withheld against that. So even if they were low income, even if they qualify for earned income credit, all of their amounts of their refund are being reduced, or in some cases they owe because they didn't have any taxes being withheld on their unemployment. So if you receive unemployment in 2021, Please have taxes withheld for the federal and for the state, because not everybody lives in Maryland, and for the state. So when you go to file your taxes in 2021, you don't have any surprises. Unfortunately, we can't go backwards. We can't do anything in 2021. But if you're unfortunate and you lose your job or you have extended benefits from 20 into 2021 in terms of unemployment, please call them up and have taxes be withheld so you don't end up in a bad situation come time to file your taxes. Hey, you just got, people, you just got your get out of free jail card right there. <clears throat> hey, oh, I'm, I, I'm trying to help people out. And then another thing that people are saying, you hear on the news, oh, you better hurry up and file your taxes before the, um, uh, before the Senate passes this, uh, this $1.9 trillion stimulus. But the issue, so why are they saying that? They're saying that because if you don't file your tax return, your stimulus is going to be based on your 2019 taxes the same way that the stimulus in 20 was based on your 2019 tax return. Here's the issue. If they, do, if they lower the income requirements for you to qualify for the stimulus and your income was reduced in 2020 and they don't have records for it, you could be in a position where you don't get the stimulus because they're going off of your 2019 tax return when your income was higher. So, get your taxes done so the federal government has the right information when they start distributing this third stimulus, which should be happening in the next few weeks if Congress can get their act together. Brother, appreciate appreciate you dropping these jewels and gems. Where can we find you on Instagram, uh, social media, all that good stuff? You can definitely find me on Instagram. That's the only place I'm at right now, Mr. Tax Pro. Um, you can go to my website, bbstax.com. Or you can come to my office, 6004 Liberty Road. At Fishnet, every plate served starts with the freshest, high-quality fish sourced from local waters whenever possible. You get fine dining excellence delivered in a cozy, unpretentious, fast-casual setting. Delicious does not even begin to describe it. Everything I've tried is made from scratch and incredible. The best fish I've ever had. Check them out for lunch or dinner at Mount Vernon Marketplace. Get caught 
in the fishnet. You'll be glad you did. Menu and details at eatfishnet.com. So excited to have these two individuals on the show. I mean, to get these people on the show, I don't even know. I can't even tell you how they jump through hoops. I had to just run and call and been on hold <laughs> almost six months. But you know what? Amazing thing. Let me let me break it down real quick before we even get into their names. All right. They have a thing called Stoop Storytelling Series. It's a Baltimore-based live show and podcast that features ordinary people sharing the extraordinary true tales of their lives. The mission of Stoop is to build a community through the sharing of personal stories. They've been featuring the Washington Post and New York Times. Since founding in 2006, the Stoop has featured tales of more than 2,500 people on stage, including notable citizens such as Congressman Elijah Cummings, the Wire creator David Simon, activist D. Ray McCaston, and Senator Barbara Mikulski. Mm-hmm. Laura Wexler, one of the two, is a Ballard-based writer and producer who creates narrative projects based on little-known true stories. She is a co-writer, executive producer, dinner party, virtual reality thriller that won 100,000 alternate realities grant. The world premiered at a 2018 Sundance Film Festival. Her writing credits include Pandora's Box, a one-hour drama pilot sold on Amazon Studios. The narrative nonfiction book, Fire in Cambridge, the last mass lantern in America, and journalism published in the New York Times, the Washington Post Magazine, and elsewhere. Jessica Hankin works for Baltimore City Public Schools of Early Learning Program. She's passionate about her family, special education, Baltimore City, keeping her house clean, using rescuing strays, both animals and humans. <laughs> Finding most things funny, and of course, storytelling. She has studied yeah. comedy for over two decades in both New York City and Baltimore. That's true, but I don't have a, a pilot under my belt, so. <laughs> yes, with, yes. <laughs> Without further ado, Ms. Laura Wexler and Ms. Jessica Hanklin, how are you guys doing? Welcome to the new picks at the Dark Firecast, guys. Thank, Thank you for you. having us. It's great to be here. I have, yeah. I had to give that narrative. I had to give the intro because as the young kids would tell me, you have to give people their flowers. And that means giving them credit, their props, giving them the due. So again, shout out to you guys for doing what you guys are doing. And again, so excited to have one. I am so excited (laughs) because let me give you guys a quick story. Before I started podcasting, uh, I had a nice conversation with one of my neighbors. And he said, you got to check out Stoop Storytelling. And I said, okay. Okay, uh, let me find out. Aaron, it sells out every time. You can't get a ticket. It's at the center. You got to go. You got to check it out. I'm like, all right, well, you know, let me just check out some of their stuff. I was like, this is actually, this is good. You know, a lot of podcasts aren't good, but this is good. Like, this is good stuff to entertain me. And, you know, people tell their stories. I'm like, all right, this is legit. And I start following a little bit longer. I was like, yeah, we got to have them show eventually. And I waited a whole year after the podcast to be out because I wanted to make sure they knew I was serious about my, what I was doing, my craft. And just so you don't, I'm sure they get a million messages a day and I don't want to clog up their inbox. <laughs> so many, so many. Yeah. <laughs> just we're like beating people up with a stick. Let me tell you, not at all. These women, these women are celebrities in Baltimore. Okay. So <laughs> the podcast top, top of Mount Olympus, you see their faces. there, Okay. So we got to make sure I'm glad you guys are on the show. Seriously. Well, we really appreciate it. Um, although usually people in Baltimore who are celebrities are celebrities because of something notorious. So, you know, 
So we, we need to be more notorious, don't you think? <laughs> I feel like that should be our resolution for 2021. <laughs> Jessica, Jessica used to be notorious, but I have never, ever been notorious. So do you think yeah. you were notorious? I think I was um, often just really drunk. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Anyway, we're already misbehaving. Um, so it's all good. <laughs> So let's let's get let's talk about you. Let's talk about you guys. Uh, so my audience knows who you guys are. We, I gave the bio, but are you guys originally from Baltimore? If not, where? Give us your fondest childhood memory. Like, let's get a little bit about you guys. Okay, I can start. This is Lara. Um, I am originally from the suburbs of Baltimore, um, Cockeysville, which I always loved to. When I was back, when I was writing letters, I would put my return address. I would write my name, my street, and I would just put Cock Maryland. Just because, you know, when you grow up in Cockeysville, that's how you're notorious. Um, that's how you're rebellious. So um, my fondest childhood memory growing up is probably is, is a very weird memory. But um, I but I will share it anyway. Um, and it is that um, my sister and I, my sister was a little less than a year older than me, 361 days. And um, one summer day, we got in a big fight, probably about chores, like who had to do the trash, who had to put away the dishes or whatever. And I grabbed a knife and ran after her, like, and we ran through the house, out the yard, around the house, in through the front door, out through the back door, like, like a, you know, Charlie Chaplin or Three Stooges. And the reason it's a favorite memory, I mean, most people wouldn't say like, wow, why is chasing someone with a knife your favorite memory? But to me, my sister was killed in an accident when I was, 17 and she was 18 and this memory for me is always about the uncon it always is about like how what we were like as siblings which is that you could do the worst thing to each other and there was still love like you knew it wasn't gonna break it like that that was an unbreakable relationship and so um that really you never, is stabbed her, right? you, never, you never caught up to her and actually no I did not no I did not stab her no I did not that would not that that would have been bad no I just threatened I wielded I wielded this knife. um so that is my weirdly fondest childhood memory Jessica, what about you oh I love that memory um it's a little it's dark it's sad that is a notorious <laughs> memory um I love stories about you and your sister I um I grew up in Annapolis, Maryland, um, and <clears throat> was um, definitely had. I'm not gonna. We're gonna start this podcast so sad. I had like a a, a pretty uneven childhood, and um, let's we'll, we'll say it like that: uneven childhood. But I grew up in a. I had the 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 absolute like luck to grow up in a great neighborhood where there were just tons of kids. We played outdoors all the time. Um, and I remember it being particularly like I fond of this one area of our neighborhood in Annapolis. Um, I lived in Annapolis Roads and it was called Lake Ogleton. That's where I learned to ice skate. And we had a rope swing and we swam and it was just like, um, it was really idyllic in so many ways. I'm grateful. For wow. That. You love ice skating. And actually this summer, Jessica clued us all into a rope swing out like on up in like North Baltimore. So yeah. that's two, those are some two childhood touchstones. For yeah. You. Yeah. That's true. Um, that rope swing that I found in North Baltimore, um, I did, it's in Moncton and, um, and a, um, a woman that a white woman who I would say is, is definitely a Karen, um, admonished me for going on it because I was too overweight. 
I didn't think it was because that. I thought it was because you weren't quote from there. You, know, no. you knew you were an outsider. You were from the city. I mean, that was part of it. But then she just like, you know, did the icing on the cake by being like, and you know, you have to be a certain way. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Aaron, okay. we just took off running. Childhood wounds. No, no, I, I love this. I love hearing this. this, this, this definitely. We brought a Karen in already. So I'm already. <laughs> my god i think you i think through you i realized what karen's were i didn't mm. know yeah and now i'm i'm really that's it's it's that's a, it's a weird moment to be a white woman i'm just saying it's oh, a weird moment yeah. to be everybody but um especially white women we are the worst in so many ways yeah hey we, that's, a, that's a whole different episode <laughs> yeah yeah if you have a karen's episode please don't have us on because that would be really bad we can judge the karens see who's the most karen of all the karens but what if then it was then that oh we're the real karen that would be that's 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 what's fair we can't do Um, anything about that so where is so give us a back where did you guys go to school did you guys go to college around here did you stay around here and laura how did you get into writing and yeah how did you get into yeah one deal with youth of america yeah, so um, I went to Penn State. I, grew, I went to um, Bellini High School out in Cockeysville and then went to Penn State and um, like I'm almost immediately started working for the student newspaper there, um, which was like a real newspaper. It was a daily. It had a circulation of like 35,000. So we took ourselves super, super seriously. And um, I realized like being a, report, a journalist um, was like licensed to ask people all sorts of nosy questions, which is something I still really love about um, research and reporting. Um, So um, I was hooked. I was hooked. And when I was in college, I had a a really, really landmark experience, which was I um, wrote a letter to Mumia Abu Jamal, who um, was at the time on death row in Pennsylvania, not far from, from the main campus of Penn State. And I wrote to him, and I asked him if I could come interview him. And I thought there was no way, like, there's just no way I'm this like, you know, just this stupid college student. And this guy is so articulate about what it about police violence, about being in prison, all of this stuff, like there's no way. Anyway, he wrote back and said, I could come visit him and interview him. And so I, I went to interview him on death row in Pennsylvania. So I think, again, that just sealed the deal for me that I was interested in learning about race, educating myself about race and all the ways that I had not been educated, despite what I would call like growing up in a liberal family and um, having a good education, writing about race and um, ended up writing a book about a lynching that happened in Georgia. Um, And just, yeah, just really, for me, writing has always been a way to like pursue questions. And um, so in all the writing I do, I'm, I'm always doing that. Um, and the stoop really sort of grew out of, uh, for me at least, that sort of interest in other people, um, interest in storytelling. And what I love about it is that like, unlike journalism, you're supporting people to tell their own stories as opposed to like getting their quotes, getting their opinions, getting their facts and writing your own story. I like, I like the, the part that supports them to, to, to share their stories. So that's, that's sort of how I be, you know, became a writer and how it then sort of put me on the path of doing something like the stoop. 
I did not know that uh, story about you in college and the interview, Laura. That's really fascinating. Yeah. I will never forget the first thing he said to me. I walked in and he said, welcome to hell. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Huh. Wow. Well, uh, let's see. Um, Sorry, that's not. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Sorry. So is my uh, not even like remotely comparable trajectory? Jessica uh, lived in New York. Erin yeah. Jessica lived in New York and did comedy at the Upright Citizens Brigade. And no yeah, shame is very important work that I did um, doing comedy with. Um, no, so I went to UMBC, University of Maryland, Baltimore County. I was the only person in my family to have gone to college. So I didn't really know, like, how to navigate college that well. And I really, in retrospect, I really wanted to, I, I wanted to be a theater major. I started off as a theater major. And my father, um, uh who had never gone to college, but it found it very important for me to go to college. He had prior to that sent me to a private school in Annapolis called St. Mary's, which was for me, hell. Um, and because it was just such an elitist. When you like, walked in, people said, welcome to hell. Welcome right? to hell. Yeah. Like um, if you weren't a certain archetype, they certainly did. And every, and every aspect of their behavior towards you. So anyway, but I, it, I, um, my dad made sure that I got a more practical degree. Um, so I got a degree my dad in the psychology. Same thing. <laughs> yeah, my but yours was actually. Some, he said, take yeah. teaching classes, take it, get an education degree. You can always be a teacher. That was always. The it, which I, I should have done, but that's not how I, I, that's not what I did. I actually got into teaching in Baltimore City Public School through, um, at the time, it was called the Resident Teacher Program. That's one of those alternative certification programs. Um, and I taught for two years in Baltimore city and then I moved to New York, um, and in 99, 99, 2000, um, and, um, and I did, I studied with the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, um, and, and got to play with a lot of people who are now very famous. Um, I am not <laughs> very famous. You're that's fine. You know, I'm Baltimore famous. I'm notorious. Um, <laughs> and I don't have to do notorious not famous notorious now yeah so how does that lead you into education i mean you were i mean you're in a comedy improv you're doing comedy in new york you haven't the time of your life how'd you end up with education well 9-11 had well so i had i had taught for two years in baltimore city before moving to new york so i had and then i continued teaching in new york at um at a, a great school called the museum school which was a charter school and the kids were embedded in the new york city museum system and it was it was really awesome 9-11 happened and things became much less comedic overall um it was a very very scary time to live in new york and so i had in my mind like um i think i you know i, I just need to get to safety it doesn't feel like a safe place anymore um, and so about a year later, I was introduced on a blind date to my now husband. And, um, and then I soon moved back to Baltimore to um, be with him and get married. And then I made the decision to, um, to go to grad school at Johns Hopkins and um, get my master's in special education, um, specifically in autism. And then I worked at Kennedy Krieger in an early intervention autism study. And that's kind of how I got into a very specific line of um, education, which is early childhood special education. So now I'm an administrator for Baltimore public schools in specifically that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now the million dollar question, everybody's probably wondering, how did you guys two beat 
play because this is like two different in the pod. But how did you, you know? How did you guys meet? One's a writer, one's a comedian. I, well, I'm going to tell you, I have this very vivid memory. So <laughs> I, know I, I was, we were at my friend's house that I grew up with and my childhood friend who had actually introduced me to my now husband, Aaron. Her name is Andrew Seabrook and she's, she was at the time an NPR host and um, she had a housewarming and Laura was there and Laura, <clears throat> so I had two things in my mind, I was like, oh, we kind of look alike. Like we should, we, I, I don't know, we kind of look alike. It's weird. Like we should be friends. And then two, I was like, I really like her boots. So then I tried to like ingratiate myself by being like friendly and telling her that I liked her boots. And she was not very nice to me. She was just like, thank you. And then like churned and like continued, you know, like her drink. And then I was like, oh man, this is going to be a little bit hard. So she was you know, a little bit cool, a little bit cool. And then we, we turns out we both, cause I was in grad school at Hopkins and she taught you, Laura, you taught at Hopkins. We would go to the gym together. And so then, you know, we just started to see each other at the gym rather. We didn't go together. And then we just started to make more connection. And then she kind of liked that. Um, I did, um, I didn't, <laughs> I, for, I'm not a big exercise person in general. And um, so I like to get to the gym and not walk a lot to get there. Like I, so I would often park very illegally um, just to like get notorious. <laughs> so, um, and so I think that, that was the thing, that was the one thing that you warmed to. You were like, oh, that's kind of quirky. I think, I think she might be okay. And then I just kept on, I just kept on plugging along until she agreed to be my friend. And now we're very That's so funny. Yeah, Jessica, Jessica is presented herself from the start as a rule breaker and as a consummate, as a consummate rule follower, like you, it's great to be in the presence of people who break rules. But the hilarious thing also about when we would meet to work out at the gym is like Jessica's idea of working out was like, I'm going to like maybe take a few steps while I read my magazine on this treadmill. And mine was like, I'm going to work out so hard. I might die. Like it was hilarious. We were just so different. Um, but the, the way we came to do this soup together is that um, honestly what happened and I'm telling all the sad stories here today, but um, I, I was so that when I met Jessica, I was, married or about to get married to my first husband. And then in 2005, we got separated. And Jessica was such a good friend um, at that time, which you really need, like you really need your people at that time. And I went to San Francisco to see another friend. And while I was there, I went to see a storytelling series, um, which I had never heard of, didn't know what it was, like really didn't even want to go. But my friend, um, you know, forced me to go. And it was so terrific. And I walked out of it saying, like, I want to do this in Baltimore. And when I got home, I just said to Jessica, like, do you want to do this show with me? Um, and we always talk about how this is like the blind date that turned into like the long term marriage, because at the time, we just thought like, oh, we'll do we'll do a couple shows that was in 2006. And yeah. um, now it's 2020. And so um yeah, so I mean, it, long it, it ass was, time. it's yeah. a long time. When I think back to like those early times and how we had to figure out, because we're so different, figuring out how to work with each other and like having 
having a lot of fights so that we could figure out how to do it and just figure out who, okay, like when, when we're worried about something, what do I do versus what she does, all this stuff. Anyway, um, so that's how we ended up doing the, doing the show together is like we had just become friends and she was really game. Um, and she had this performance um, background and I had no performance background. I was very like stiff and just like very writer, writerly and like type A. Um, not like now. Now I'm just like cool and casual. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so chill. No, actually, I think you're I think that your hosting style is is extremely fun and yeah, Not performative, I, but just you. I definitely grew into it, but yeah, but you were already, you already knew how to do your thing on stage, and I, I felt comfortable on stage, yeah, yeah, and Two, you but, but one, you would one would say too comfortable on Notorious. stage, <laughs> I said some very, oh my God, uh, inappropriate got things. us into trouble numerous times on stage, <laughs> but, I, like I might name this, 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 um, episode Notorious, I don't know why, <laughs> <laughs> Like, notorious storytelling, the real story. Oh my god! I wish I want to be more notorious. I really do. Okay, but for, but like notorious in a good way, not in a Karen way. Anyway, go ahead. You were going to ask a question. Oh, you go. So, how did you guys get the ball rolling? You say you came back from San Fran. You spoke, and you're like, but like, how do you get it off the ground? That's the question because a lot of people see what you guys are in product, but people yeah. don't see what you guys had to do. Like, when, if you can remember back to those beginning days. Totally. Yeah, totally. Where'd you start off? No, we didn't start at the Senator. We started at the Creative Alliance. Okay. And we we still love and cherish them. They 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 were I mean, it was the perfect place for us to start. They and there was a program direct, director there named Megan Hamilton, who I remember we went and told her our idea and she said, you know, yeah, and we said we don't know how to do this and she she said she would help us. So she kind of helped us like figure out how to, you know, how to do some, how to produce really, how to produce. Like neither of us had produced before. We knew how to get people because I was working at a magazine, Jessica, like we, we knew people in, in different communities and like we, that wasn't really a problem. It was more just like the idea, like, how do you do a show? How do you, well, and know. you, I think that your magazine background allows you an, an understanding of the press release. And then yeah. we were strategic in who we got for the first show as far as like, we wanted to target people that um, were well known for the most part in the arts communities and journalistic communities and writer communities of Baltimore. We thought those would eventually be our people. I think this was subconscious. It wasn't as conscious, but that's what we did. And then we also really wanted to throw in a not making taking ourselves too seriously aspect to it, which I think has really served us well and really been like what is very Baltimore about us um, in that our theme was failure. Um, just in the event that this was like a total shit show, we could have already like called it. Um, so, um, but we had like uh, the uh, Gary Vacan, who at the time ran the Walters um, Art Gallery, Laura Lipman, who's a well-known mystery writer and married to David Simon, um, Max Weiss, um, Charles Cohen, who is not as well-known amongst, he's, he's well-known if you've been in Baltimore a long time. And we just, um, we just kind of asked for their grace. Um, and we, by the same time, Laura, it has, obviously a very type A personality. And for as 
non-rule follower as I am, I definitely want thing, I want to please people that I love. So I will like follow the rules of my friends. Like you tell me something to do, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to like, you know, shit on that kind of thing. So um, we like, you know, you had really good structure. I helped execute it. Um, and we just had a sold out show the first time. And that then I think it really, this kind of um, event um, begets um, audience members because those people who are on stage, they tend to want to, you know, support future storytellers. So they'll come, they'll bring people that they know. Then the new storytellers that we get want to bring their, you know, their network because they're, it's their 15 minutes um, or seven minutes in this case of being on the spotlight and having a captive audience and feeling really safe to share a personal story. And I think that's where, um, that's where we kind of, we, we struck gold in this way of being really uh, aware early on that it was our responsibility to be careful with the people who were telling stories and be respectful of the fact that like we are midwives to this. It's really not about us. It's about us like being cheerleaders for them. And then by proxy being cheerleaders for the city. Um, and that's really been like just a, a driving force from the beginning. I mean, you got yeah, I, Oh, go ahead. It's your show. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, uh, everything she said, for sure. And then we also had, I think we had the good luck of, of doing it at a great time. So in 2006, yeah, it was, like, early in, like, the storytelling movement, I would say. So just even in the time that we've been around, there have been, there's been an explosion of these series kind of in every city, we were a little bit early, earlier to the game so that I think what we did was it was it was this weird combination where people like it was hard to explain to people what it was in the beginning, because when you said storytelling, they thought it sounded like it was for kids. Um, and then if you said adult storytelling, it sounded like sexy. it was like it adult film. <laughs> um, but but once people came, it was really familiar. So it was like this cool mix of like new, but also really familiar, which I'm convinced like the, the things that do well, like in the arts and culture world often have that cocktail where they seem fresh and new, but also like deeply familiar in some way. Um, but so we, so we were really lucky about that, but we definitely made like mistakes early on. Like our, we knew we wanted to have music at every show because we wanted it to feel like a total night out. We wanted people to come get a drink, like mingle, listen to music, have these stories. But the first, because we were like just reaching out to everybody we knew and you know how when you start something, you just ask favors from friends, right? So we asked this guy we knew, actually it all comes back to Andrew Seabrook, who was then the husband of the guy that introduced Jessica and Aaron and had the party where Jessica and I first met. <laughs> he did electronic music and he was like a one man electronic music and he's really talented, he's brilliant. Um, but it, it doesn't really sound like music. Um, so I think it was, everybody was really confused. And then we also had asked him like, because our stories we want people to tell stories that are about seven minutes long so that's always been like a, a one of our sort of trademarks is seven people seven minutes each um so this, we thought it would be a good idea I don't know why that when people were at the seven minute mark for him to put on a sound effect of a thunderclap 
um, which terrified people. Like people literally were, were traumatized by it and it ruined all of our recordings. Like, cause if they were, they weren't already done, you know, suddenly there's like this huge thunderclap in the middle. Anyway, um, that was, I think our biggest, our biggest like stupid mistake in the beginning. Cause he's wonderful. It just wasn't the right, it wasn't the right fit. But from then on, we have always, had so much fun and Jessica does such a good job on this, like curating our music so that we have, like we love being able to introduce our audiences to Baltimore bands. And we've had so, so many great ones over the years. Um, and the combination of the music, getting people in sort of in the mood, setting, setting the tone and then, you know, people sharing stories. That was great. The other thing I think that people liked from the beginning that, that, we lucked into was we have this element where the audience audience members can put their name in a hat and be picked to come on stage after intermission to share a three minute story on the so it's like a the mini night. story slam kind of thing so like, it's like yeah it adds this like wild card element and it often is really a wild card like sometimes people are wacko sometimes people are really hilarious and wonderful sometimes people are drunk sometimes so it, um, I think that element of like, what could happen? Could it be me? Could it be this person sitting next? You know, that that was that added a fun element to it. Yeah, I was going to say, kind of like piggyback what you're going to say. Uh, what you said, you guys are before the curve. Like you guys are before everything started booming out in the market. Think about it. You guys were again, like I said, pioneers. You were pioneers. Yeah, we were lucky. I mean, at the time, I think the moth. The Moth is the oldest. The Moth had been around because I remember I went up to New York and I went to a Moth show just to see, do like research on that. So the Moth, there was a there was a show in San Francisco, which was the one I saw. There may have been a handful of others, but now I would say like, actually now we're part of an organization of storytelling series. And there's probably like a hundred or more like of, of any size. So um, yeah, we were lucky about, we were lucky for that. No Picks After Dark podcast is sponsored by the Charm City Craft Mafia, Baltimore's best local craft fair, presenting Pile of Craft, a virtual craft show on the last Saturday of April, featuring handmade stationery, apparel, jewelry, ceramics, wall art, body care, small batch food gifts, and more, crafted by makers in Baltimore and the region. Pile of Craft will be on April 24th, 2021. For more information, please go to charmcitycraftmafia.com and on Instagram and Facebook at Charm City Craft Mafia. Like, so when you guys, I, I know when you said your first episode, you went out, you went big, you went big, you got heavy hitters in. Was it hard to get guests on your show besides that? Was it hard to get people to believe in your vision of what you guys, because everybody, creatives always have their vision, but everybody else always doesn't see your vision. You see your vision, but as far as getting people like, all right, this is, this is the place I want this group of people coming in. I want this group of people come. Like, was it hard or was it at, was a turnkey at the point after the first episode? So I would say, well, first, cause you know, we didn't become a podcast until way early, way late in the game relative. So we, we were just a live show for the first okay. four years. Um, and um, so the shows we did about five a year. So it's like 35 people that we're looking for. And, and so 
in essence, the word of mouth spread pretty quickly. And then Laura, you know, is prescient in so many ways and very type A. So she, in the best way, like we came up with, and she's married to, these are two other aspects I should mention, two are that helped with us. Oh, husband. Husband. So my husband works as a radio producer. He's um, at WYPR. So he recorded everything for us. So we had that already, like, that help there to so that we knew that we could create an archive of our stories on a website. And then Laura's husband is a web guru, um, a tech guru. So he helped with that aspect. So we had kind of an infrastructure that we didn't have to pay for in some ways. And we have to pay for a website, but we just had support that we just didn't have paid to pay with for. our lives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, just with guilt and passive aggressive comments. Um, but <laughs> that sounds like to me that you guys had to say no to a lot of people. It sounds like. Well, so I'll tell you. you know, that, so yeah. this is what I meant to finish saying. The one thing that we still struggle with, and I think it's a, in, it's getting better, but it's a it's a thing with Baltimore is that our scenes are so segregated by race in so many ways that we we got feedback that was really helpful feedback, like eight years ago of like, hey, you really need to have more people of color on stage. And we knew that, but being told that was a very different experience. And we're still grateful to this day um, for that conversation that we had. But it then became, that's where we, we really continue to want to get as many diverse stories up on that stage and out on our podcast. But it's, Honestly, it's hard to um, to be two white women asking um, for people uh, to share their stories without it kind of feeling at times like, you know, is this exploitative? Is this okay? Like, and we know it's not because we're taking care of it. We're not making huge, you know, I still have my day job, you know, but it's, um, it's a thing that we, we continue to grapple with. And I think the arts community in our country overall is, is continuing to grapple with that. Like, you know, who's, who's to share the story. It's and- interesting you say that though. I'm glad you brought that up because for a while after the whole George Floyd incident, just everything that has happened in the world, a lot of white podcasters reached out to me and were like, can you come on our show? And I was like, absolutely not. Because I know what, were you genuine enough to have me on the show before all this happened? What is, yeah. Are you just trying to get ratings? Are you just trying to get clicks? Are you just trying to say, I have a black friend? I know a black podcaster. So you get very hesitant in this day and age. You do. We do. I, as a black podcaster, I do. Um, I'm very selective. Again, who shows I go in? And you yeah. Know, questions. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't. I don't. I won't. Like for a while, I won't go. I wouldn't go on anybody's show because I just didn't trust what their aspect was. Then I always look at your history. I look at who's been on your shows. How many black people, I mean, it's kind of like, I look at your social media. How many black people are showing your social media page? How many black friends do you really have? Because you got to make sure you're not being used and just as a token as somebody saying, hey, we got a black guy who in here that represents everybody. That's not, so I get your angle of where you're saying that. I just, I'm telling you from my standpoint, I mean, my inbox blew up, but I was like, absolutely not. I'm not going to be your puppet so you can say, be a, a show or a mental show for you just so you can have me on your show. So I get, I get, definitely get where you're coming from. And it's interesting, even before George Floyd, I didn't know about your show. So what right. my mind is I'm a college-educated guy, hanging around a college-educated other black people within the industry. And I asked around. I said, have you ever heard of this show? They're like, no. 
Yeah. yeah. Um, even when I'll give you a with uh, Be More Art. Never heard of it until two months ago. So yeah. it makes you wonder, like, all right, there's so many cool things going on in Baltimore. And then I looked at your page and I saw all these wonderful people of color on your show. And I'm like, oh, OK, that's that's cool. You know, you, you research like, oh, that's cool. But you're like, why have I never heard of this? Am I not in the art area? Am I not in that lane? Um, I, you know, my parents have lived here most of their entire life. I was born here. You know, I used to hang out in Kenton, Federal Hill. I had, you know, I was one of the few black guys hanging out in Kenton way back in the day. <laughs> uh, you know, but I didn't ever heard of Stoop. And I'm thinking like, I was drunk half of 2000, 2003, all the way to 2010. So I couldn't. Uh, but again, that's a, that's an issue. I'm sure you guys are. You guys will. You guys are doing a great job already. And I see that. You know, it's I'm, you know, I'm really it's so nice to be able to talk about this because it is a real it's a real challenge. I mean, I feel like we have always like for us the word diversity is not, it's not just about, oh, we need this kind of person and that person. We need this number of women. We need, you know, this number of old, young. It's about, it's really tied into producing a show that we want to see, which is one where there's people that are different and have different stories. Like if we just had seven white women sharing stories, like everyone would put a, like one to hang themselves. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's just, there's a sameness to it. And so ours is born out of a true curiosity about people and, and wanting to share that. Um, but it's hard. It is hard for us. And I think if we were starting this now, we, we wouldn't have two white women starting it, we would bake, bake a more diversity in from the start so that everybody would feel so that like you would feel like this was for you. I think the problem is when it's two white women, even if we have lots of storytellers who, who don't look like us, it's still run by two white women. And it still feels like it's for white people who listen to public radio in some ways. And we fought against that, but it's, it's hard. It's hard. Um, so, you know, now that you know about it, you great that we can have this open dialogue. I feel, yeah, I feel comfortable talking with you guys. I've seen Jessica so many times around Baltimore and we always say hello. And again, I feel comfortable enough to say that because again, i never knew about it. And I was like, what? Yeah. I was like, I'm talking to our guy that we know. And I'm like, why do I know about this? Like, I don't yeah. like, I know about everything else going on. Why have I not known about this? And then I told a couple of friends that I was interviewing you guys and they're like, Oh wow. Really? I'm like, yeah, they're like, okay, that's interesting. Cause it was like, they were like, it's a different mix. They're like, all right, it's you. Yeah. And people who really know how I am, they're like, you know, I am no cut cards. I tell you how it is. And if you don't like it, it is what it is. But I try to stay positive at the end of the day. I try to. And I call it like I see it. And I said, no, I like what they have done for the culture, giving people out there to speak, telling their stories. I love that. I love listening to what you guys get the people out there. You had one. Uh, talking about addiction, I remember it was addiction this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I won. Um, it was in the Jewish Museum, I guess. About, yeah, that was interesting. Space. So, yes, yeah. Like they're they're definitely eclectic and different. You know, they're different and unique, and you have your own style. Personally, what I would have loved to see, and this is me, just me, I would love you guys had like a Black History series for a whole month of just doing Black History. You would have got people up there to talk about and have a, but that's a story for another day. I'm giving you ideas, but just, no, for, that's, just yeah. thought, you know, um, but cause you have the audience, you have that presence. And it's funny. You said NPR. Cause that's when I first, when I first heard of you, I saw, I thought you guys were, I thought yeah. I don't listen to NPR. And then my friends, let NPR. And it's like, yeah. what's past my 
group of people, my friends, we, we will bypass it, but I'm not going to sit there and listen to it. My parents used to listen, listen to it. My grandparents. I know. Yeah. So it's a different, I mean, uh, different group of people that listen. So I really did think when I first, when my our, our mutual friend told us, I was like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's cool. And then again, like you said, the first stereotype, two white women. I'm like, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and we know it. We're like, oh, yeah, sorry. and two white, two white middle-aged women to mm-hmm. like even make it worse. Yeah, no, it's 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 so siloed. It's really siloed, and you know, if we, it it is, it takes a lot of time and energy to find those ways into that feel natural and don't feel like you're like, Hey, something just happened. I need to have a black person on my show or something just happened. I need to try to look like I'm woke or whatever. I mean, we, I just, I am not into that at all. I don't, but at the same time, I recognize there's some, you know, there are things to be done. They need to be genuine connections and, but they're the harder ones to make. They're the ones that take time and building and trust and all of that. And, I wish we had more time. Like I wish this was the thing we did full time. I convinced we could, we could be like much further along in that respect. If it were, you know, we did have a show about race back in, what was that? 2008. Yeah. And that's where Elijah Cummings, that's when he, he came on and told this story that was absolutely riveting about, um, when he was a child in Baltimore and his, his integrating Riverside yeah. park. Yeah, yeah. The pool in South Baltimore. Um, yeah. But anyway, it's, you know, we don't have to keep talking about this, but any thoughts or suggestions you have or whatever, we are open to them. We've always been like, yes, help us. We don't, we don't have the right answer, you know? No, no. Yeah. I, we could, I mean, I, I sorry, went off a little topic. I mean, we could talk about not that. at all. This is what I like about my shows. We could just talk about things like the go off script because you know what? It, it matters. It's, it's, you know, and with this show be coming out for Women's History Month, I really, you know, I really want to get people to see, you know, guess what? They, 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 these guys are legit. They're, they care. They, you know, you want to, that audience to say, okay, let me check them out. I mean, what the, I mean, and that's what it's all about. Just having you guys on the show, talking about your show and your passion. And, you know, I, I love it. I like what you guys are doing. And, no, I'm putting my stamp on it, so I don't have. <laughs> yeah, any- I mean, it's, it's <laughs> like it. I think on the like, I think what what we're trying to do runs the gamut from like, on the one hand, like have a really great night out where you can like get to hear these stories, drink, have have a drink in a nice theater, listen to music, but. So that's sort of one end of the spectrum of what we do, but at the other end, I think. And, you know, this, I hold the truth so deeply that like sharing your own story in front of a crowd of strangers is a political act. It's an act of self-empowerment in which you're defining yourself rather than being defined. And I think for women, for people in marginalized groups, this is like, this is a, this is like a, yeah, it's a political act of self-definition. So I I'm, you know, I do workshops and trainings with nonprofits and um, youth and, um, you know, 
that this sort of desire to support and give people the skills to share their own personal stories. To me, I'm driven by that because I think it's such a powerful thing for, it's a powerful thing for individuals and it's such a powerful thing for communities. I mean, storytelling is so powerful, right? We, we saw this last week, like when the crowd stormed the Capitol, why did they do it? Because Trump told a story. He told a story that they acted on. So we know like, we know all the ways in which stories can act for ill, right? Um, but I think what we need to do is keep tapping all the ways that storytelling can like build community, not divide it. And the ways in which when we tell our personal stories, if you really, really get deep and you get down to a soul level, we are familiar to each other, even when we don't look the same, even when we don't come from the same neighborhoods, even like we all understand what grief is. We all understand what love is. We all understand what fear is like these. I feel like our best shows are those that really tap into those universal emotions. because That's where we become familiar to each other. So I think that's our sort of up with people. Part of what we do is like provide opportunities for personal empowerment and provide a way that people can be you know, strangers can become familiar and, and we can try to build community and not destroy it. Yeah, but we're not a motivational speakers, just in case you're... <laughs> no. no. How did you get... Motiv- motivational speakers, I don't know, that I don't always feel motivated by. But oh, anyway, no, I usually feel ahead. actively replaced. <laughs> no, Judging. How did you guys get in the New York Times? How did it all come about? Uh, that was like... A big- oh, that was... That was funny. So we decided, um, was it 2000? Well, yeah, it was 2015. Mm -hmm. Um, We decided we wanted to use our platform to um, help people get the get to know the candidates running for mayor um, in a more personal way. Because there were so Um, many. There were there was like 300. No, there was 20 (laughs) or something. But um, and um, so, and we, and like, we thought about it, and we're like, oh, what is a campaign? It's an extended job interview, right? Like it's, it's, so let's hear stories about these candidates' first jobs. So that's what we came up with. We was like, we're going to partner with um, Open Society Institute. Like this is not for Democrats or for Republicans. It's not for any one candidate, but we're going to um, rent out the war memorial, which I don't know if you've ever been in it, but that place is a beast it's so cool um and try to coach these candidates that that was pretty futile but um and, and get them all show. To- what's that and have it and have it be a free show that yeah was- it was free yeah so i think it was just like a novel way to use our platform um and it was interesting because the story that Catherine Pugh shared hmm. um at the time when she was running I'll never forget it. It was about, it was very shallow. It was about um, her first job and what was important was clothes. Like it was important to look successful, like to look the part. And, and then when she got, I don't know, I just thought this is not, yeah. Anyway, um, it was, it was revealing, like it, it, not in the way she wanted it to be, but to me it was revealing of her, of a kind of true self that wasn't what we needed for the city. Um, but anyway, so we did it again this year because uh, we did it in 2020. Well, it was supposed to be, I can't remember. Well, we did it this year, but we had to do it virtually. Oh my God, that was a circus. <laughs> trying to get everybody to share. It was early in the pandemic and trying to get everybody like 
to do video and to get like Sheila Dixon couldn't get her video going like other people didn't didn't have zoom like oh my gosh it was it was actually a real education into the digital divide yeah well no actually we knew I knew Brandon Scott was gonna win I was the only one who knew how to do zoom he was the (laughs) only one whose people knew what they were doing as far as tech was concerned and he was the only (laughs) one who was like yeah I know how to zoom and then he had these like he had all his cute Oriole swag behind him and I was like that guy's gonna be our mayor he's awesome yeah anyway so it was just a way to use we partnered with a bunch of different organizations but in this sense it was just like how can we offer people a different way into these candidates that's more personal? The No Picks After Dark podcast is fueled by Zeke's Coffee. Have you tried their coffee yet? I'm telling you, there is something different about it. Maybe it's because they roast their beans in a fluid coffee roaster, which provides the most accurate roasting temperatures and made with love. You will just have to check it out for yourself and try their delicious food while you're at it. Open now for curbside service, carryout, and delivery. And they also do wholesale. Visit Zeke's Coffee at 4719 Harford Road. Open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Sunday, 8 to 5 p.m. Kitchen closes at 3 p.m. Or visit Zeke'sCoffee.com and you too can be fueled by Zeke's. No, no, that that is excellent. I love hearing that because I know a lot of people, you know, give you guys, I want people to know who you guys are and what things you guys have gone through. So, Trials and tribulations. I'm sure there's plenty, plenty of them. Try, what trials and tribulations have you guys gone through with the show? And then what show sticks out to you the most that you were like, this is crazy. I don't ever want to do this again. Did you ever have that moment when you were like, you looked at each other like, oh, what are we doing? Like, I mean, because we had a little self-doubt of like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Or you may not never have had it. Oh, no, we definitely had it. And the good news is that we didn't have it at the same time, because I think if we had, we would be not here um, and it would have it would have died. It's been, you know, Laura alluded to this. It's we had to really figure out each other's working styles. We're very different people, um, you know, trying to figure out business stuff when we're both a bit business averse. Both of our fathers would like us would have liked us to have graduated from Wharton and, you know, being CEOs and, and we did not want to do that. So um, it's uh, a long way of saying I can tell you the show that almost broke maybe both of us, but at different times, thankfully, was we were asked by center stage. Oh, God, I thought you were going to say that. In the height of our, like, you know, popularity, obviously, in the white community of Baltimore, because (laughs) any other community (laughs) were, but popular. (laughs) There should be a term for just, like, when you're only popular with white people. Yeah, I guess it's called, like, America. (laughs) This is America. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, exactly. So we were asked to do Center Stage's Christmas show, which they usually had like, you know, like a, something like a Christmas Carol is not a good example of because they're they're more cutting edge than that. So we had to create our own um, sketch music storytelling like um, show that was different every night for 10 different nights. So um, for two weeks, basically, or was it eight different nights? It might have been eight. It was so a lot. And I was, 
I was working full time for city schools. Laura was working for magazine at the time or freelance writing. And but I remember we had small, we had really small kids. Like we my had, kids were like, I don't know, four and three or something. Yeah. Jessica got a stomach flu and missed a show. I had an ear infection and some some other thing. I think I had pink eye. Yeah, I had pink <laughs> eye. And I mean, we're just like, we're. that's when we realized, in case we didn't know before, like, oh, we're, we don't do theater. Like, we're, we're not really into, we're not really like set up to do theater. We're really, what we do is, it's not quite theater. It's not quite stand up. It's not quite, I don't know what. It's, it's something kind of in between all that stuff. And, um, you know, the, our shows are never perfect. I think that for me, for me, that was the hardest thing to one tolerate in the beginning. Cause I, I'm as a writer, like your whole MO is let me just revise that. Let me just revise it. Let me revise it and edit it so that when anybody else sees it, it's going to be as perfect as I can get it. So for me to be part of something live that you couldn't control and then also be involved with so many other people whom turns out you can't control people. I'm not sure if you know that yet, but I would tell you that. Um, so that was a hard thing to tolerate. But then I really, once I could tolerate, I realized like that is, what is good about our show? Our show is not theater. It's more sort of like a heightened version of life. Um, and so that means it just doesn't always go perfectly. People forget stuff. People, we forget stuff like things. There's, there's a large m margin for error, which I've come to cherish uh, so much. Um, so that, I think that for me, that was the biggest thing, but you know, over the years there have been, times where we were worried we wouldn't get a seven, you know, we needed storytellers, we couldn't find one. You mentioned, do people come to you? Yes, like people come to us and want to share stories. But if we just relied on who came to us, the show would be even whiter than it is. Like it's, it's not what we would want to do. So like having the time and effort and like presence of mind to really be thoughtful about curation. And sometimes just with our lives, that's, that's difficult. But like, people have not showed up or, um, you know, said weird things on stage occasionally, like stuff like that. So, um, but, you know, all in all, it's like once you build in that your show is never going to be perfect anyway, and people don't expect that, then you have a lot of room to maneuver without like failing or flopping. So I think that was our ge most genius thing was to be like, this is never going to be perfect. So don't expect that. You're not getting that when you come here. You're getting something kind of honest and scrappy and authentic. And we're that that's what it is. And that's what you're going to get. So, Michael, here's, other, here's another question for you for production wise, because I don't think anybody realizes. I don't know. How long does it take you guys from when you guys say I'm going to do a show and say Valentine's Day, whatever? When do you guys start getting everything underway? When does the interview start? When does like I mean I think people I think people need to peek behind the curtain a little bit and want to see. Sure, how sure, out. yeah. This is not a work. So in a normal, I'll start Jess, and then you can finish. Yeah. Like in a normal year, what happens is we get you know we we announce our themes for the whole year um, in September. 
Um, so we know our show for the, we know our show lineup for the fall and our show lineup for the spring. And so, and then we have them all posted on our website and anybody who's interested can submit a story for any of the shows. Um, so that's sort of the first level of kind of advertising um, and, and seeking storytellers. And then we always, we just, because we know each other, we can be like, oh, I was thinking this person, all right, I'm going to reach out to that person. So it's a combination of push and pull. Um, and a lot of it happens just like throughout the day, at night, like email calls, stuff like that. Um, and it doesn't, I don't even, I don't know if we could tell you how many hours it takes because it, it's happening. Like we're always doing stoop in a way. Would you say Jessica, like yeah. we're always like, Oh, you, like if we meet someone be like, Oh, you'd be a good storyteller. And we just get their information and like keep them in mind. And so we're always doing it, but by the same token, it's neither of our full-time jobs. So yeah. It's a but lot. Yeah, so, yeah. Then we interview people by phone just to make sure like that they, you know, they're, they, they're not crazy <laughs> stories or they're crazy in a good way, crazy you know, in a good way. And then we have a, a, a coaching workshop um, that we used to do at WYPR pre COVID, um, which was nice. Like it gave us a, a bit of like, you know, um, just people being like, okay, we're not just showing up and hanging out in a basement kind of thing. Um, and then we have the show itself um and we record all every show um so that we can subsequently create the podcast and the podcast is not necessarily of that show itself we just take stories from various shows and then create new themes for the podcast have you guys people oh go ahead have you guys ever thought about doing a pre-recording and having it live on social media meaning you do, you do the recording Monday, but then you air it live on uh, Wednesday, just in case you have any errors or anything like that going on a live taping. Like you have Facebook Live, a lot of things can happen, <laughs> you know. But imagine, I mean, all those people watching, but have you ever thought about putting something like that where it's already pre recorded, already done, and then you just upload it to you with streaming, wherever you want to stream? Yeah, you know what? We need, we sort of need to get into that. Like when we were first, when we were like first at center stage, like maybe like in 2000 eight or nine or 10 or something, we were live streaming our shows because we were selling out and it was a way to let people see it. But that was like early live. So they, they were, I don't even know where they were live stream. I have no idea, but, um, but we haven't done much with video, which I think has been, is definitely an untapped thing for us because we've been always so focused on the audio and like the podcast, like the website, like having the, the audio stories be really high quality. But I did just make us a YouTube channel since we had to do these virtual shows, we needed some place to like store them. So I think going forward, we probably will try to do more um, and um, in that way, because obviously you might've heard of YouTube. I hear like it's <laughs> kind of popular. So um, anyway, it's so th again, this is like evidence of like when you start something in 2006 and you try to keep up as much i mean jessica does all our social media stuff but i don't do very much on social media so we we could be doing more in that respect and you know we we tried to have like interns who were like hip young youth to help us um mm -hmm. with varying degrees of success so um yeah but one thing i wanted to say is that like in terms of the coaching process so uh, we we want to give every person as much support as they need in order to feel comfortable when they get on stage and for some people they like they 
they already come in, they know what their story is, they're ready to do it, they just need us to time them and like give them a few tips or something. But other people, and these are the people that I love working with, they, like, they have this thing that happened to them, or they have this mystery in their life, or they have this conflict, and they're wrestling with it. And, um, and you get to like help them wrestle with this and figure out what it really means for me that's that's the fun part like I just we're, we're doing this show in partnership with a group in Philly called first person arts and the theme was witness and um so one of the storytellers is somebody it's this incredible story she was um when she was 18 um she was raped. This was, this was like near Panera bread in, um, in the Baltimore Towson line right there, Walker Avenue apartments. Um, and nobody believed her. So the police came to her apartment. She told them what happened. She could tell like, as she was talking to them, she could tell they weren't believing her. They were looking around. They were like, you're a high school dropout. This apartment is shabby. Like you're not credible. All this stuff. Nobody believed her and nobody investigated. And 19 years later, she was able to get her case reopened. Somebody believed her, and they solved the case in three days. So that's a big story. It's a big story. That's like a life story. So what do you how do you get that into seven minutes? And so we we did the coaching session. And then she and I went back and forth on the zoom on zoom and phone and everything just really like, how could we do this? Like, how can we structure this? So it feels like a whole story, even as it is, of course, not telling your entire life. Um, and she kept thanking me. And I'm like, No, this is like, this is what I do for fun. Like this solving story problems is, is my, um, it's my jam. So, so that's another kind of support we give people. I love that. I love that. So you guys got into the podcast game. What do you guys think about the podcast game? <clears throat> I mean, seriously, what do you think? I mean, I mean, I definitely, I prefer the live shows. Um, no question. I mean, I, and I miss the live shows, like the virtual shows do, do not do it for us in the same way. Um, but the podcast we're grateful for because it's a way for us to get these really fantastic stories out to a larger audience. And we have like a respectable download amount and um, we kind of, we, I think we got into the podcast game also kind of on the earlier end. Um, and uh, we had the support of WYPR in so far as like they have producers that help us and that they will play a story on, on their shows. So that helps. I don't, um, I, I, I made the mistake of reading our comments once um, and like most of them are very kind but the ones that are not kind are so not kind that I was like, ooh, I, I like for the first time felt super vulnerable and just like, oh, there's a lot of like, it puts you in a different world kind of as far as scrutiny and- um, Do you read your, Erin, do you read your comments or no. anything? No. Yeah. 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 I know. When she told me that, I'm like, girl, you gotta know you don't do I that. Know. It was such a mistake. Anyway. I, I, don't read, <laughs> I don't read the comments. You don't ever go down that hole. <laughs> yeah. I know that now. What do you think? Yeah, it's only darkness. It's like, it's like people just feel so free in their anonymity to, um, to just be so cutting. Uh, Yeah. But what, like, what do you think about that podcast? 
I, world. I think it's a mess right now. I think there's so many podcasts out there. People have so many options to go and listen yeah. to. Yeah. I think with the world slowing down, I think more podcasts are being listened to. Um, you know, I for a while when everything stopped, my numbers went down because a lot of my friends used to ride to work and listen to in the car. Yeah. It took time for it to build back up again. And then I was back to where, you know, it was actually better before I even started, before it happened. Um, it's weird. It's a weird place. Uh, a lot of people have intentions. A lot of people want to be Joe Millionaire. I don't know why. I don't know where they get that from. Because, um, like, everybody wants to sell a dream. And I'm like, you know, it's a hobby. I enjoy what I do. I have a full-time job just like you guys. Uh, I have a, you know, I have a two-year-old and a newborn. So it's like, oh my God, um, why are you not taking care of your children right now? But this is my path. This is my way of getting away from the world. This is my, yeah. and I enjoy talking to people. I always tell people, if people were the drug, that's my drug is people. I like people. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of like that too. I, I, I love know, people. Think about it right now. We're isolated from every, it's crazy. And it's like mentally, it plays tricks on you. So podcasting, I think it's whatever you make it, you know, at this point, I mean, it could be good. It can be bad. You can be successful. It's all about being sticking to it. Um, right now I've started right now as a collective and it's a collective of podcasters around Baltimore area that, you know what, they are a lot of black podcasters have great shows, but guess what? They probably will never be heard or they'll be staying there a little media audience. And I'm like, let's do a collective. I know my audience. I know who's listening. I know right now, yeah. Maryland is my number one audience. At the Maryland is PA. At the PA is New York. At the New York is, is DC. At the DC, it's California. That's my audience. I can tell you right now who listens from California. I know the groups. I know the people. I know which age group it is. And people are like, I want these other people to join and say, listen, there's other great products out here. Yeah. Want people That's it. That's a nice thing I like about podcasts. I feel like, I don't know if this is still true, but like particularly in the early days, it was like, hey, if you like our podcast, check this out. Or like there seemed like there was a lot of collegiality of like, you know, rising tide raises all boats kind of thing. Um, and that, that's one of the things we're talking about on these these with these other storytelling organizations is, is there ways if people like stories, they're going to like stories from Baltimore or, the, or stories from New York or stories from it's, it's not that different. Um, so trying to help each other share audiences. Um, but I'm just going to be honest, like this year, this, uh, I'm still saying this year, but I mean, 2020, I, all I have wanted was silence. I feel like the world is so noisy. I've stopped. I used to listen to a ton of podcasts. Um, I was really early to them, but I, I have so enjoyed the sound of silence. <laughs> so I'm not even up on it, but Jessica is, Jessica stays yeah. up on them. Thank God. Um, you have to, you, yeah. you have to figure out the climate and find out what's going on out there because there's so many different things going on. You mean with podcasting right now and the money just getting thrown around right now with Joe Rogan with Spotify and other people networks of now they're buying these big now these big companies are buying like smaller companies and saying hey we want a piece of this pie and again like again i'm fortunate enough to have a great audience right now i'm very fortunate enough to you know have four four different sponsors that are saying hey we believe in what you're doing keep on pushing and i'm fortunate so that's why i want to bring these other podcasts along and say let me teach you the other side of the game it's not about just doing the work 
Be consistent. Yeah. Know what your dog, who would know, know your audience. You know, if you're going to go outside your audience, make sure you understand what could happen. Um, I give an example. I always tell people I interviewed my California, I was in California. It's called California dreaming. And there was a person I interviewed. I could have interviewed her husband. Her husband's a huge celebrity, but I didn't do it. And they were like, why didn't you do it? I was like, because I would. Who's her husband? We're not going to no, I want to know. I want to know who. Right. We'll talk offline. <laughs> I don't. I don't want. I don't want her to be upset with me. But because uh, I need. To, I need to keep the interview still. Again, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've hung out with him. Been to their wedding. They're great people. But the main thing is, I want to interview her because she was at her own acclaim. He basically, you, you can look her up, but she was per, Jet Jet Avatar's personal assistant and worked with him on all his movies and was her. I mean, she's produced films and things of that nature out there. She helped with bridesmaids when the producers on the film. And I wanted to interview her because I was like, no, I, I don't want to lose Aaron went celebrity real quick. Because yeah. like, once you once you go that route, that's like quick money, quick likes. But how long then you alienate your, your original audience. The audience that really wants to be there. Well after you've had me and Jess on, how are you just gonna go back to having like regular people now? I mean you're set. You're good because I <laughs> because I want to show the diverse yeah train of thought and what people are doing out here in Baltimore celebrating yeah. as we're doing. Because no, I think you're right. I think you, the idea of a collective and of sharing audiences and stuff, because it's not a zero-sum game. It's like if someone listens to your podcast and they hear about your friend's podcast, they're not going to stop listening to yours. They're going to listen to your friends too, you know? It's, and, that, it's, and that's what we're doing right now. And we've, you know, and like, you know, people I've told, like, I was like, I only need 10, group, 10, 10 podcasts. I don't need a whole bunch right now. I just want us to focus on us for six months per new per like like you got like social media as Jess knows that's a full time damn job that yeah, that's, yeah social media is a nightmare I'm not gonna lie <laughs> I, I hate I really do and just knowing what I have to do go through and what you guys do I respect what you guys do and I know what you guys go through so it's kudos but I really am lucky to have you guys on because I know when I told a couple of other podcasters like you're talking to them how'd you get hold of them. And I was like, aren't they people? <laughs> oh my God. Well, yeah. That is that, that it's that just like, oh, these these they're big time. And you know, I'm like, hey, they walk just like me, they talk just like me. Why not? I mean, we do other things. Just like you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where you gotta you have to understand, like, remember, and you guys are writers, you're writers, so you understand you used to email people. You don't email people anymore. Apparently, I still do, but not with much success. Yeah, you hit them in their DMs. You go to Instagram, DM us. I got, I emailed you guys though, but I DM most of my people and say, hey, and they look you over, figure out who you are, and respond. When I first started, certain Baltimore celebrities wouldn't (laughs) talk to me, wouldn't even give me a time of day. Now it's like, can I be on your show? Can I be on your show? I'm like, and the weird, the weird thing I'm saying is, no, time. I'm I'm one. I'm a one man band. I don't, yeah. I don't have time. And I like what you guys have done, the success of you guys done. And again, I, I, a kudos to you. I'm, and again, I'm honored to have you guys on my show. Because- we are honored to be on your show. We thank, thank you so much you. for your time. Yeah. I, you guys knew who I was. I was like, well, this is a shot in the dark. I'm just going to shoot an email. Hey, who the, hey, this is a random guy personally emailing you saying, check out, like your show. You know, th- that's what we do out here. As young kids say, shoot your jump shot. You never know if it goes in or not. That's right. Yeah, no, I, I'm... This was so fun. It's fun to talk about all this stuff. It really is. And um, 
and thank you for having us and good luck with all your stuff. I think your ideas sound great. Well, yeah. And you're on you know. real quick and then we're going to roll out. We're gonna okay. Roll. okay. All right. Rapid fire folks. What has been your favorite show? Ooh, Oh God. I love shows. So that's going to be hard for me to Lori, you go first. Wait, our favorite soup show or our favorite TV show? Soup show. Soup show. Oh, favorite oh, soup yeah, show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> one you produced. One you produced. Uh, I still um, say the Meyerhoff. The Meyerhoff was a big fucking deal. We had 1,400 people. We had the West Siders band come through all of the aisles to introduce. It was like amazing. It was such a fun, amazing event. And we'll never do something like that again. Yeah, I, I'm frozen right now. Like, I, I can't think of anything. I don't even know my name with these rapid fire questions. I'm just panicked. No, so. no. <laughs> right, I answered for both of us. Yeah. The crab cake. Ooh. Um, I mean, like fade leaves for sure. Um, where do you go, Jess? Coco's. Oh, yeah. Coke, that's what I was trying to think. Coco's pop. <laughs> yep. Flats or drums? Oh, drums. What, it, what's the, what is that? Wings, Laura. What people like me eat. Wings. Oh, wh what's a flat? Is a wing? The thigh. The flat is okay. I'm gonna pass on that one. Drums is the answer. <laughs> all right, how about this? Blue cheese or ranch? Blue cheese. 100%. Blue cheese. All right. All right. <laughs> Favorite 80s or 90s music? 80s for sure. 80s. Yeah. 90s lame. No. Well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Favorite Broadway show? Ooh. I mean, I'm a big fan of musicals, much to my husband's chagrin. You know what I love? I love Guys and Dolls. I just, but you know what? I don't love the Broadway version. I love the movie version. I think it's fucking fantastic. Um, I, I love Les Miserables. Okay. Favorite city to visit? <laughs> I'd probably say around, probably New York. Yeah, New York or Philly. Um, it's going to sound pretentious and make it seem like I'm well-traveled, which I'm so not. But when I was like 12, my dad wanted to atone for all of his infidelity. So he took me to Portugal with him and Lisbon is what I'm going to say. Okay. 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 <laughs> ramen or pho? Or pho? Ramen. 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 Your favorite comedian. It's for the, for the comedian here. Ooh. Yeah, that's a... Uh... If you had one ticket to go see somebody, yeah, man, alive, who would now? Who would you go see? For me, I mean, I, I'm I'm a Dave Chappelle guy. I've seen him eight times, but I just wow, I just I, I love seeing him. I wow. love Dave Chappelle um, as well, but um, God, that's it's going to be really. Um, give me a second. Now I should have prepared for this, and I didn't uh, prepare for it. It's all good. It's all good. It's all, we'll come back to it. We'll come back. No, but I, I, that's like, this is a crucial question. All right. Yeah. We'll come back. Yeah. What's the best advice you guys have ever received? Hmm. I, I, I mean, <laughs> no, so I am, I, we didn't receive it together, but I received, I have the, the huge honor of working with, um, Reginald F. Lewis's sister. Um, and she 
um, has a placard on her desk, which is his advice, which she also told me when I was having a very unfortunate time many years ago. Um, and it was just keep going no matter what. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that's what I think most people just need to hear. So. I am looking all around at the notes that I have around my writing desk. And these are my like things that I try to live by. Uh, pay attention to your imagination. Uh, courage is a skill. I like that because it means like even if you don't feel like you have any, you could build it. Um, keep your nerve. Um, respond instead of react. Uh, pliability is the definition of strength. All right, all right. My answer is uh, George Carlin or Richard Pryor. Nice, nice. Those are, yeah, it's a it's a tie. That's, that's, okay, Richard Pryor, one of the, one of the originals, one of the originals. Yeah. Where can we find you guys on social media? Where can you, that's where you plug, we can find your social media, TikTok, I don't know, all these crazy things that all these people have nowadays. Where can we find you guys? I mean, oh, Maria Bamford <laughs> as well, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Jessica, tell them where they can find Jessica, us. Jessica, uh, Jessa Hankin on um, Instagram. And then for, but for us, for Stupid Stoop Storytelling, um, series i think so we're we're stoop storytelling series on facebook um we're the stoop storytelling series on twitter which we don't do that much on we should and, and then what are we storytelling series on instagram way to have consistency and dot com right is it dot com also yeah yep all right well yeah. i appreciate you guys ladies coming on the show this has been historic epic i'm very appreciative of you guys taking time out your day we're still in this damn pandemic I can't wait till we all hang out in person. And I, one question I didn't ask, and we'll probably do this a part two, is definitely, I want to know, when can I come on the show? Oh, we seriously, were, we, we were going to ask, ask you. <laughs> yeah. We'll hold, we'll, hold off. We'll, hold off. we'll hold off on that. You got to do it when we're back in person. Yeah. yeah. That's the only, yeah. only way I'll do it. I won't do it virtually. Again, for, all right. I'm, I talked to two rock stars today. Thank you so much. Peace, love, happiness. We're out. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you.